Broadcasting live from the Finley Cadillac Performance Studio. This is Unnecessary Roughness. I think the first thing we all have to do is be accountable, and that starts with me, you know, and and ways that I can do a better job of trying to do my job and help them be a better football team, help them be better players. I think our staff did the same thing, took a good look at ourselves. What can we do better to help our team? And, you know, we're working really hard. Uh, we got a long way to go. Uh, Nothing's been accomplished yet, but... I think the right things are, are at least being attempted at this point in time of the year, and we're going to try to continue to do that here going into training camp. Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. Good afternoon. Welcome in. It is Unnecessary Roughness. I'm Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for Q Myers off on the sandy beaches of Hawaii, I think, taking a little a well-deserved vacation. I'll be with you today and tomorrow, Damon. You're making a glorious return as well. You've been on Cofield and Company, the ESPN sister station, right? So this is your first day back, huh? Oh, yeah. it's It's been gone for too long, man. I, I'm excited to be back. Raider Nation Radio. Cue's away. I'm going to play. I was going to say, yes, you're going to have a lot of fun. Uh, I feel like I'm a fun guy. I will say, for those who maybe are not familiar with me, I filled in on this show like once or twice that last year. I've been on with Clay a couple of times. I do do work for ESPN Las Vegas. I'm also a... Um, host and writer for the Vegas Stats and Information Network, so I'm a sports betting guy like the NBA, like all sports, really. But I will open up with this. I'm going to be open and candid because I want to be open and candid with our audience. I'm a little nervous. I got big shoes to fill here. Q Myers is a staple in, in Raider Nation coverage, I would say. I see him all over the place. And the cool thing about a fan base like the Raiders, Devon, is that they're very aggressive and passionate fan base. So a shout-out to Wendy who tweeted in when you sent out the show tweet, okay, Cowboy, let's see what you got. I assume that means me. So, Wendy, I hope we'll do you proud with this. Um, I think we got a good show on tap. Although the feng shui of the studio, this is my first time in the studio, so i got to get this right. We're kind of at, like, an angle, and you're really far away from me. Uh-huh. So I've got to, like, sit diagonal. I'll get used to it. Well, if you it. want um, cubed where that um, where, where that nice pad is, he doesn't sit. He stands the entire show. Ooh, that's what I might do. Yeah. I like standing. Yeah. I project. He stands with his back to you? No, no, no. Um, so right uh, the, okay, the okay. mic behind you, he just stands there the entire time. So I had something planned out to open the show. I was going to do like this elaborate setup where like, hey, you know, I'm filling in for Q. Q's a really you know, well-respected guy in sports media and, and around the Raiders and – what does Josh McDaniels need to do to be respected, just like Hugh Myers is in the sports? I was this big, elaborate setup. However, something did come down on social media that I feel like we should address on a radio show. This is on Raider Nation Radio. We do have the quintessential athlete subtweet from one Josh Jacobs that came out about an hour ago. Did you see this? Bad business. That's right. That's it. And, of course everybody thinks that he means bad business when it comes to negotiating with the Raiders, probably. Rinchy Incognito has responded. Say, pay that man. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Josh Jacobs and the running back situation and running backs as a whole a little bit later in the show because it's him, it's Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Taylor over in Indianapolis is in the last year of his deal. So how do these guys all get paid? It's a really interesting dynamic where you have three extremely effective runners who are at different points and kind of all looking for some money. But I did want to open up with that because coming up in about, what, 30 minutes or so, we are going to talk with Arif, Arif Hassan, who is a pro football network writer. And the other day I was clicking through some articles, and one of the things that I noticed was a power ranking of coaches in the National Football League. 
And I'm looking through and scrolling. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be on Raider Nation Radio. Let's see if this is a good topic. You're scrolling, you're scrolling, you're scrolling. And it takes a while to get to the name Josh McDaniels, head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. According to this list, the fourth worst head coach, excluding first-year coaches. So it's not like all the way down there at the bottom. They took out all the first-year guys this year. So my show topic, what I wanted to ask our audience was, what do you think Josh McDaniels need to do to garner more respect as a head coach in the NFL? Because, you know, we were texting about this. Sam Monson over at Pro Football Focus had an article about uh, the five coaches on the hot seat. Apparently McDaniels is one of them. I even put in the rundown. I was like, is this like his seventh season? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> it's, he hasn't even been there that long. You have Pro Football Network and this power rating list. Like, it is a very fascinating year for Josh McDaniels because they're going out on the limb, as we know, with Jimmy Garoppolo and the foot situation there. It's, it's an interesting season for a team that has aspirations to be a lot better than I think the masses think they do. And Josh McDaniels is at the center of it. Yeah, he's at the center of it, but the Sam Monson from PFF, that article, him being one of the five coaches on the hot seat, I don't think that he's on any hot seat whatsoever. Yes, are there expectations that this team, hey, should they perform better than they have last year with another year of Josh McDaniels' system under their belt? Yes, absolutely. But I think that he's got the utmost, you know, tenure let's say when it comes to owner Mark Davis where he is going to let him play out and build up this system the way that he wants to build up this program and the way that he sees fit so I don't think that it obviously that's when we talk to Arif his article best and worst case scenario for the Las Vegas Raiders so it would need to be the worst case scenario in the entire history of the National Football League for him to be on the hot seat and here's the thing sorry sorry to cut you off one of the things does the new minority owner maybe not influence this? Didn't Tom Brady agree to be a new minority minority owner at the end of May? Yeah, but a small minority. Of course, Enough but for- I, I, he's a minority owner, but he's a big personality and a big name. And, I don't know, best friend of Josh McDaniels? You know, in terms of pushing back on the hot seat thing, like, you think Tom Brady's really going to not, like, knock on the door if there's rumblings and McDaniels is going to be gone after, what, two seasons? It'd be like, hey, guys, give my guy a little bit more time. Do you think any other minority owner, no matter their status of celebrity, has that much influence? I think Tom Brady would. Yeah? You don't think Tom Brady would? No. Not as a minority. What's it like? What, maybe like a 2% stake? I, oh, I, I, I don't think he would make the decision. But I think he would be, be able to put the pressure on and be like, mm, what are we doing? This is my guy. Let's give him an, a little bit more time. In terms of, again, being on the hot seat for this season. I'm trying to think oh. of a, another celebrity minority owner. Were that low of a stake? I'm, what, can Magic Johnson just go to the Dodgers and just say, "Hey, I think, uh, I think but, keep but, letting them manage a little bit longer." Uh, but, but see, that's a little bit of a different scenario because Magic Johnson was not one of the greatest baseball players of all time, right? Yeah, you push it back on it, but I think this is actually oh, Ma- Michael Jordan when he sells with Charlotte. They're saying that he's going to keep a small. He's still, but so okay, fine. <laughs> you going to say that? Yeah, he's he's becoming a minority owner. Did you not read what he did the other day? No, what he did? They held he? they held workouts. For the top two prospects they're going to look for, Scoot Henderson out of the G League out here in Las Vegas, and and Brandon Brandon Miller, Alabama, Michael Jordan was there. He was sitting there courtside after he just became a minority owner. So I I would not push back. I wouldn't really think that Tom Brady has nothing in terms of, say, what's going on with Josh McDaniels. But I am curious. Like, what do you think he has to do? Because it's not just, like, lists like this, you know, in, in talking heads like us. There's a lot of, like, pointing and laughing and saying, hey, hey, McDaniels doesn't know what he's doing. When I can make the argument, like, we're going to talk about Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs had a brilliant year last year. A lot of it had to do with Josh Jacobs. A lot of it had to do with the scheme that he was in and Josh McDaniels doing what he does as an offensive mind and drawing up a lot of stuff 
for Josh Jacobs to have a lot of success. I'm somebody who bet under 750 and a half rushing yards for the season for Josh Jacobs. I think you went over that in like two games. Bad right? business. Right. Yeah, bad business, exactly. <laughs> so I'm just curious, in reading some of the stuff, I was looking up some other things, getting ready for it. I'm curious what people would think in terms of what he needs to do this season. Is it as simple as having a winning record? Is it going to the playoffs? Because he is a guy that, at least when it comes to media circles and some conversational stuff, would he be? A, he's not a guy that is generally well respected. I wonder what that is going to be. He's a smart offensive guy. Is it as simple as he just needs to get more wins? I think it I, might be. I think it. You know it, that that boils down to just that simple. He needs to win more. Where with this team, they weren't the worst team in the league. Obviously, not even the worst in the division. But I think that the fan base and the talking heads, they need to see Josh McDaniels actually get some wins as a head coach because you you don't want to have that label stick to you. Hey, he's a better coordinator than a coach. And you shed that by getting wins at the end of the day. Yes. You, well, I guess you do. And maybe it is that simple. By the way, because I am new here, how do we let our audience know to get in touch with us? Oh, that's a real easy one there. You can text the show 69187, keyword R&R. I prefer the text line because you can text in whenever you want. That's the that's the best part about the text line. I've got that open. And as Q's likes to say, the phone lines are open like some old school TV antennas. It's his catchphrase. I was like, no, no, no. How does he say it? Old school. The phone lines are open like some old school the TV antennas. Yeah. They are you, always open. <laughs> and you can call us at 702-365-9200. Yeah, he's ranked in this power rating thing, uh, this power rating list of head coaches by Pro Football Network. 26th. Again, this excludes the first year guys. Behind Ron Rivera, Robert Sala, Arthur Smith of the Atlanta Falcons ranks ahead of him. I mean, that's, that's what I mean. Like, that's something where you're looking at that. It's like, not that Arthur Smith is some moron, but it's just like, I feel like Josh McDaniels has done enough as an offensive guy, and especially if you look back at last year, to not be ranked that low when it comes to some of the standings in head coaching circles. Yeah, Arthur Smith, that's the name I have a problem with because hey, Ron Rivera, you can say he's made it he, he made it to a Super Bowl at least. But Arthur yeah. Smith, the Falcons, what have the Falcons done recently? What has he proven? He what he was the offensive coordinator for the Tennessee Titans. I mean, Derrick Henry looked good under him, but he hasn't been able to translate any of that offensive success to the Atlanta Falcons at all. So even his bread and butter hasn't looked that good in Atlanta. Yep. So what are his, you know, what skins that he does he have on the wall as a head coach as opposed to Josh McDaniels? If you looked at it with some nuance, you could argue that Smith did a good job with their offense, you know, at one point throughout the first half of the season and actually creeping into the second half of the season as well, it was a team in the Atlanta Falcons that if you looked at some of the offensive metrics, it was one of the better ones in the National Football League. And again, we're looking at the metrics. But from last season, Atlanta ended up 14th. At one point, they were solidly inside the top 10. But the same argument can be made when you're talking about this from the Raiders' perspective, you know, in terms of their rushing offense, their overall offensive production. The Gans did a pretty good job if you looked at it with some nuance in terms of what he did. And it's a very fascinating season for him. Given what's going on with the quarterback situation, we know that he's going to be ready, Jimmy Garoppolo, by the time he gets to camp, and that's all indications. But when you move off of a quarterback like Derek Carr, and it sounds like maybe you have an edict of, let's get this thing done, let's win, it's going to be an interesting year, especially with all the noise, too, around Devontae Adams. But I thought it was a little low for our guy McDaniels. Yeah, it was a little low, but we do have a caller. So first, you know, got to take care of our sponsors. Let's jump into the opening drive. The opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM is brought to you by Paul Pata Law. It's not about the injury, it's about the recovery. Raider Row, you're first up. Hey, 
how's it going, guys? Good, man. How are you? All right. Hey, I just wanted to say, man, you must be crazy thinking Brady's going to have some kind of influence <laughs> on anything that got to do with the Raiders. <laughs> I just I heard that, man, and I never laughed so hard in my life, man. You don't think that Tom Brady, best friend of Josh McDaniels, would be able to push a little bit, lean on it, if there was a decision to be made there? No way, man. No way. What if you got like 0.1, interest in the company? In the team, no. And no 100% way, really. greatest of all time football mind and best friend? I don't know. Yeah, but that, even though he can be the greatest wherever, they don't make great coaches, they don't make good decision makers either. But That's still, a good point. I don't think he's going to have no influence. All right, thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. DeMond's laughing. Telling you. Yeah, I'm right there with Raider Row. Oh, I can tell. Trust <laughs> me. I'm gonna, I don't even think Raider Row's mad. I think he just disagreed with the take that Tom Brady would have a little bit of influence. Oh, yeah, he said it was the funniest thing he's heard all day. There you so. go, I made him laugh. See, that's a positive start. It's a positive start, although I did not know that we had sponsors, so i make sure I'll, I'll get that right next time, I promise. All right, so uh, we're going to learn a little bit more about each other as the show goes along. And one of the things that a lot of people are going to learn about me is, I, look, I, I like a lot of stuff. I like numbers and analytics and betting, and I also like basketball quite a bit. And I was very, very excited because there's this balance you got to strike, right? Raider Nation Radio, I know where all of our voices are heard, but also I get to talk about some other stuff. There's a local feel to it. There's a national feel to it. And the NBA, oh my goodness. There is, I don't think there's a better offseason than what the NBA has. Drama, rumors, reports. It's incredible what you see in the association in terms of reports. And it is, it is hot season in the association right now. By the way, see Mariah Mills got her account suspended. Yeah. For those who don't know, just look at Mariah Mills. Yeah. Do you, how much of a factor did you, do you think that that played in the reports? Hey, man, and maybe the Pelicans aren't so happy with Zion. Because I felt like before two weeks ago, God, Zion just needs to get healthy. Pelicans can't wait to have him back. Much like you laughed at me for my Tom Brady take, I will laugh at you. I don't think that exploits with an adult film star are what maybe pushed the New Orleans Pelicans over the edge. I would say a guy who's barely played any games even though you invested a ton in him, is probably what pushes him over the edge. I'm just saying, <laughs> I haven't been, I wasn't hearing about it before someone went on a tweet storm about you know Zion's personal life. Nah, it's bad timing. Yeah, bad, yeah it's just really bad timing. It's just coincidental timing. Just yeah, just a coincidence. Yeah. For those who don't know Zion Williamson, and we're going to get to more of this as the show goes along, but uh, Zion Williamson is in a lot of different rumors in terms of being traded from the New Orleans Pelicans. To the Portland Trailblazers, that's one of them. The Trailblazers are at the center of all of this because Damian Lillard wants to stick around. How about this list of names? Trailblazers have been tied to Zion Williamson, Pascal Siakam, Bam Adebayo, Mikael Bridges, Paul George. It goes on and on. The Paul George rumors actually have come around twice. There was one a couple of months ago, and now it's right back. The Los Angeles Clippers might chip off Paul George for a shot at that third overall pick. I don't even care about the moves itself. I just love reading all of these reports. I sent these to you. Two reports. One, report. Zion Williamson, probably not going to be traded by the New Orleans Pelicans. Report, Zion Williamson, probably not going to be on the New Orleans Pelicans by Thursday. <laughs> what are you supposed to do with that? You know what I wanted to talk about? Portland. When it comes to Portland, do you think that they're just trying to give Dame the, hey, man, we're trying everything. We're making all the calls, brother. We're, we're, hey, no, we're, no one wants a winner here more in Portland than us. But secretly they, they wish he would say, hey, guys, get me out of here. Because it's like, oh, Bam out of bio. You, you, you aren't getting Bam. The Heat just went to the finals. They're going to give up their key, well, their second best player, maybe even their first best player when he's on. They're going to give him up. 
We're trying to get Zion, a guy who barely plays. Is that going to be the selling point for Damian Lillard for 70% of the season? You do all the work still, and hopefully he's good during playoff time. Or playoff P, the most undeserved nickname. Uh, it's, relax. But it's just it just seems to me Portland's like, hey Dame, we're trying, brother. We're making we're calling everybody around the league to get you that second superstar. I think that they're asking themselves a lot of questions to your point, because they're kind of at a crossroads a little bit, right? They are a team that has a lot of young talent. And I think it's a fascinating team building question, and you can tie it into the Raiders, right? Where Clearly, the Raiders are trying to keep their window open to potentially win a championship. And I think every, everything is like, hey, of course you want to try to open your window to win a championship. But sometimes the window is nailed shut. And you can't just keep trying to pull the nails out of it. And I think that's what the Portland Trailblazers are doing, which is like the ship has sailed. Our windows don't match anymore. We've got a bunch of young, talented kids that in three, four years could actually be pretty good. And we could get one of them here on Thursday when the NBA draft comes around. We have the third overall pick. And you're asking us to mortgage that future so you can maybe get a couple of nails out of the window and try to win a championship where it's going to be a low probability that even if we bring in guy X, whether it's him, Pascal Siakam, you may, when I say him, Bam Adebayo, right? Any of these mm-hmm. guys, are they beating the Denver Nuggets? I mean, I'll even throw them in there even though I don't like it. Are they beating the Phoenix Suns in the best of seven series? Like those are the questions you have to ask. I think it's a fascinating dynamic because I would tell Dame, for lack of a better term, Thanks, but see you, buddy. Are they afraid of the optics? Because right. I've never seen a team want to show this much loyalty to a player. And I, that's the only thing I can think of. They just say, well, we don't want to look like the bad guys. Every time anyone asks him, all he says is how much he wants to stay here. Yep. Well, we don't want to look like jerks and ship him off for you know, all of that sweet return we would get. Yep. I mean, but I can't think of another team in history where it's just been, hey, you guys really aren't that good, but we don't want to trade off our superstar that would give us a lot of return back in value. Because he wants to be loyal. This is, it's a relationship where nobody's moving out, and I don't think anybody's that right, happy. Right, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> no, you hang up. No, you hang up. Right? Except like a negative version of it, right? Not the sweet teenage version where yeah. you guys don't want to hang up on one another. No, I, I would agree with you. And you, you're just going to stick yourself in purgatory, where you're just that team that's barely getting in, and you're not really doing anything, and then all of a sudden your assets are dried up, and there's nothing really to play for. So, here's, my, here's my hot take. I think ahead. that's what Dame wants. I think he wants to be the guy that says, hey, man, I was loyal to a fault. I tried to make it work here in Portland because that way he never has to branch out. He never has to be that, you know, small fish in a big pond maybe where, you know, oh, you couldn't get it. You really couldn't get it done when it mattered the most. And he's fine with being a a legend in Portland, probably going to make the Hall of Fame, you know, make his all-star games, his all-NBA teams. I'm not saying he's not a competitor. I'm not saying he doesn't want to win. But it's the – I'm comfortable here in Portland. Yeah. But then you can't do the, the, the cantankerous superstar thing where you're sending messages in the media but, right, but through some of your insiders. But, but he's got to do that to keep up appearances. I, I can't. It's, <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, man. Well, okay, we have plenty of NBA stuff, too, because I, like, I like to tie in different things when we talk about this sort of stuff. We'll talk a little bit later in the show about the, uh, the NBA draft, which, you know, it is nowhere near what the NFL draft is and what it has become. Uh, at all. It has been absolutely fascinating uh, in terms of the growth of the NFL draft and tying it into what we're going to see later this week when it comes to the NBA draft. All right, what do you want to do here, Damon? You you let me know. What's our schedule like here? Because I'm not familiar with any of the inner workings okay, great. with Radio Nation Radio. <laughs> uh, we can take a break in about five minutes, but I really do want to preview a read for what he's, com- what he's coming on with us to talk about because that's another question that I wanted to ask the fans today too. What, what's your idea of the best-case scenario and what's the worst-case scenario for the Raiders this season? Because 
when you look at the article, you can see some of the things that he's going to talk about. And I think the big elephant in the room, or if anyone's going to talk about a subject like this with the Raiders, is Jimmy G's health. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the biggest thing that we really don't know about. And coming into training camp, I wanted to put that Josh McDaniels clip in there of saying, hey, you know, we're, when these guys come back for training camp, Jimmy Garoppolo is the player I am the most now, I don't know excited is the word, but intrigued by just day one of training camp, even more so than Josh Jacobs at this point. What's Jimmy G going to be looking like day one? And then that's that's going to determine what could the best case or the worst case scenario look like for the Raiders this season. Yeah, that's so it's a question that I it obviously starts with Garoppolo. I I think as with any team, really, when it comes to the worst case scenario, worst case scenario could be pretty bad. Which is, you know, you're talking about a high end of the uh, draft when it comes back yeah. around, uh, especially when it comes to injury and availability. And that's kind of the question when it comes to the Raiders overall, which is just the, I think, you know, we're, there's an article out there about the weakest position groups for the Las Vegas Raiders, which we can discuss a little bit later. I think you can make the argument because one of the things was the backfield behind Josh Jacobs. It's maybe one of the weakest position groups. I think you make the argument that the guys that are behind Jimmy Garoppolo are also one of the weaker position groups on the roster. And he's not going to be available. A worst case scenario could be like what is it? Code red or whatever it is on the terrorism scale. Whatever it is, whatever color it Defcon is. Defcon one. Defcon. There we go. Is that even a color? <laughs> <laughs> I knew what you meant. Defcon one. They could be Defcon one if they don't come here. Uh, well, you, you talk to <laughs> JVT's mic just fell on him, guys. Yeah, I caught it though. You know, I'll, I'll take last, time, see. La- last time. <laughs> Last time this happened, it hit the table and made a very loud noise. Good reaction time by me. Caught that thing. Snagged it out of the air. An elite athlete here. But for me, when you talk about the backups for the running backs, when it comes to Zamir White and Brandon Bolden, excuse me, I'm blanking on the name there, but the Britton Brown that they mm-hmm. also drafted last year, where those guys, they just didn't get the opportunity. They didn't get the reps. And I think that maybe if Josh Jacobs isn't there, they can show what they have to do because I know we always talk about how the running back position is devalued in today's NFL, but if you draft a running back in the fourth round, you, you expect that guy to play. You expect that guy to play, and Zamir White just hasn't had that chance to play yet for the Raiders. So I don't know how good he is where you say, hey, the guys behind Josh Jacobs, they aren't that good. He only had, I want to say, 17 carries last year. Mm-hmm. You, you, you do that, I can do that math. That goes out to one carry a game. So I don't know how much he has to offer the Las Vegas Raiders because Josh Jacobs was just so stinking good last year. Yeah, well, now, and it goes back to what I brought up when we were talking about uh, Josh McDaniels. The offensive scheme could raise the floor of any of these guys when it comes to running the ball and being an effective runner, right? Because if you're looking at the way this offense works, and Josh, look, Josh Jacobs was freaking awesome. Like, we're talking about 3.4 yards per con- like yards after contact per attempt. Like, he was great. And he was a runner that maximized a lot of what he got as a rusher. As the season went along, some of the grading, you know, declined a little bit in terms of his production. We know what happened from week 15 on. But overall, still an offensive scheme that, when you're talking about the depth there, the floor could get raised. And when you're talking about the possibilities of Jimmy Garoppolo and not being available, Josh Jacobs and what's going to happen with a contract negotiation, maybe the worst-case scenario isn't going to be as bad as most people think. But you tell us what the worst case, best-case scenario is going to be for the Las Vegas Raiders. What do you think the best-case scenario would be for the Las Vegas Raiders? What's a perfect season look like for Las Vegas? Why don't we discuss it? When we come back, let's talk with Arif Hassan, writer for Pro Football Network. 
That was the opening drive of Unnecessary Roughness on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Brought to you by Paul Padalaw. It's not about the injury, it's about the recovery. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness. Jonathan Von Tobel filling in for Q Myers, who is on vacation out in Hawaii. Got a lot to get to. And the show just got started. Let's talk a little bit more about the Raiders, the future, what 2023 brings. Arif Hassan is with us, writer over at ProFootballNetwork.com. You can check out all the work there. An awesome article up on the website right now. Las Vegas Raiders 2023 season preview. Got a lot of stuff, including maybe some... uh, We were talking, Arif, and thank you very much for the time. One of the topics of the show today is, right, best case scenario, worst case scenario for the Las Vegas Raiders. But I want to ask you just a general question. When you see a team like Las Vegas that's turned over quite a bit of their roster, especially at key positions. How do you project a team like this when there's a lot of noise in terms of positional changes? I mean, the short answer is that you kind of don't. There's right. just so much, you know, you don't know about, you know, the team, how those positions will play with each other, what kind of the interactions of those are. But, you know, I guess the long answer is that, you know, you bake into a lot, a lot of uncertainty. You take a look at historically how, you know, the players coming in have done, how the players leaving have done. You kind of put it all together. And you know that you're not going to be able to predict the future, but you get a good understanding of, hey, you know, maybe there was a little bit of an upgrade here, a quarterback. Hey, we know that they've, you know, added to the receiver core. Is that going to be enough to make up for the loss of Darren Waller? You know, that kind of stuff. So uh, overall, you take a look at kind of the broad strokes of, of who these players are, what they've added, what you can expect from these positions in the draft and you kind of you know push through it a little bit I mean it's one reason that you know I, I placed the Raiders about average offensively a couple of weeks ago and and a little bit lower than average defensively a couple of weeks ago because you know you, you take all of these pieces of information together but at the end of the day you're not going to know so we do kind of know at least we know what Jimmy Garoppolo is as a quarterback we've seen quite a bit of it uh, over at the San Francisco 49ers, I think you can make the argument that maybe there's some noise there because he was in an offensive system that raises the floor of almost every quarterback that steps foot uh, behind center. But what do you make of a move between Derek Carr to Jimmy Garoppolo? Is that lateral? Is that positive? And what we can expect after the guy does have to nurse a foot injury and maybe get a little bit of a, a late start to getting acclimated with this offense and its pieces? Yeah, I think on paper, it's a positive. You take a look at the efficiency numbers Garoppolo's been able to put together. They've been consistently, you know, among the best in the league. But that kind of raises the question, why would San Francisco try to get rid of him for two years if, you know, he's such a high-level efficient passer? And I think a lot of it has to do with the stuff that when you take a look, you know, away from the spreadsheets and look at how the offenses, you know, kind of deploy him, it's it's that stuff about, you know, whether or not he has the ability to consistently push outside the numbers or down the field, whether or not you can trust him, you know, in game-winning drive scenarios. I was taking a look at the fourth-quarter comebacks and the game-winning drives for Jimmy Garoppolo and Derek Carr, and it, I think unsurprisingly, Derek Carr has, an, has, has almost twice as many over the past four years game-winning drives and fourth-quarter comebacks as Jimmy Garoppolo. And I was thinking, well, you know, Jimmy's in a lot of sit- winning situations. You know, maybe he played so well that they won games. You don't have an opportunity for a fourth-quarter comeback. So compared to Tom Brady, and Tom Brady has more fourth-quarter comebacks and game-winning drives, despite the fact that he enters the fourth quarter with more, you know, with more points, with a better uh, point differential. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that, you know, Garoppolo has benefited from a really high-level defense and from receivers that do a lot after the catch, which you'll have, you know, a, a good chunk of those in, in Las Vegas. 
but you know they do a lot of the work for him and so when when it comes time for him to do a lot of the work it's just kind of not there and that can get you a, a long way you know got them to the super bowl but i think for the most part when you're asking a quarterback to shoulder a, a, a heavy burden to take on a big load you're going to want him to be able to create offensively and from that perspective Derek Carr at least over the past couple of years maybe not over his career but over the past couple of years is a little bit of a better quarterback so you know, I think you get a more efficient quarterback in most game situations, but you get a less effective quarterback, you know, in late game situations when you need a quarterback to do more. Is that an upgrade? Probably, but you know, there's mm-hmm. some concerns. Arif, I'm glad that you mentioned the fourth quarter comebacks when it comes to both teams because something that one of our listeners even texted in and said, hey, Josh McDaniels needs to do a better job at maintaining the leads that he gets at halftime. So when it comes to a coach maintaining those leads, do you think that that's more play calling and scheme or just the quarterback that he has to keep those leads throughout the game? I think that both play a pretty significant role. I think that, you know, the play calling and the scheme play, you know, a really important role. I think Kyle Shanahan has learned that a lot, you know, given his time, you know, with uh, with the Falcons and then, of course, with the 49ers, kind of what the differences there might look like. Um, but a lot of it has to do with the quarterback. If a quarterback is, is not willing to take safer throws in situations where they've got a lead and, and riskier throws in situations where they don't have a lead, they're not really calibrating what they need to do in order to kind of meet the situation. They need to understand where they can and where they can't take those risks. And, you know, Carr did take a couple of risks he didn't need to. I think he also, you know, got hurt by the fact that, you know, he didn't have, you know, his top receivers there. There were situations where interceptions weren't his fault. But I think that, you know, there were situations where, you know, he took risks he didn't need to, and that kind of helped precipitate those losses. But if I were to take a look at those games, where and there were a lot of them, uh, those games where Las Vegas blew a, a first-half lead, I would say, I would put a bigger blame on Josh McDaniels than I would Derek Carr just based off of how those games were managed, you know, what was being done in terms of play calling, you know, kind of what the defensive strategy was, which I know he's, you know, an offensive-minded coach, but it ultimately falls on him. You know, all of those, I think, play a bigger role than Derek Carr did, but certainly having a quarterback that can play it pretty safe with the lead is is a, is a nice benefit there. So I think I'm going to ask you a question that you probably can't answer, but – in watching Josh McDaniels both in his time as a coordinator and as a head coach in both the different stops, do you think he is a man that is capable of changing how he handles those situations and improving? Uh, I would say, you know, like you said, I can't, you know, speak to him in entirety, but I think that based off of what I've seen, I would say probably not. You know, he's talked a pretty big game about, you know, what he's learned, how he's changed as a head coach and, um, you know, I, I think that certainly he's learned a lot of lessons. I think that in terms of like, you know, personnel management, how he relates to people, you know, he's a little bit better. But I think that there's just so many skills that come with being a head coach that are just really difficult to pick up. That if you're not really turning things around really quickly in your second stint, it's really difficult for me to kind of trust that that he's figured all of that out. I mean, he's a brilliant offensive mind, but being a head coach is just a completely different skill set. So, you know, I'm going to be skeptical until he can prove me wrong on that one. Again, we're talking to Arif Hassan from Pro Football Network. Something else I want to ask you, playing off of the title of the article, best case scenario for the Raiders, what is the best case scenario you think that the ceiling could be for this receiving group? I mean, you've got... Devontae Adams, one of the best in the league. Jacoby Myers, I think he could be a high-end number two. And also Hunter Renfro. If if this receiving core reaches its peak, how good do you think it could be? I, I think it could be really stellar. I think it could be one of the better receiving groups in the league. Obviously, Devontae Adams, who you know two years ago was 
considered in, in the conversation for being the best receiver in the league, uh, along with Jacoby Myers is the top free agent at wide receiver. I think that the two of them could pair to do a lot more than, for example, what Justin Jefferson, who a lot of people consider to be the top receiver in the league right now, can do paired with a rookie in Jordan Addison, right? Or, you know, it, can they do the same thing that Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle can? I think that, you know, in terms of what you're asking them to do, no, but in terms of the impact that they have on the field, maybe. And then you add in, you know, a rookie tight end like Michael Mayer, who a lot of people thought was the top tight end in the draft. You add in, you know, Josh Jacobs, should he, you know, report and, and be comfortable, you know, with his contract and be ready to play. You know, all of that together, I think, especially with Hunter Renfro playing such a critical role underneath, all of that, I think, can produce a really high-level skill group, a really high-level offensive floor that Garoppolo can work with. I think that you could argue that all of that together, you know, you put, you could potentially put that up there with the Dolphins and the Bengals in terms of some of the best skill groups in the league. So let's expand on Jacobs really quickly. Uh, right before he came on the air, we got the quintessential disgruntled athlete subtweet, uh, which was bad business. That's all that Josh Jacobs retweeted. So maybe he went to a 7-Eleven and got kind of gypped because the slurping machine was out and he was just upset, or maybe he's subtweeting the Las Vegas Raiders. We'll never know. Uh, but do you think that a running back coming off of a season like that, it, should they pay Josh Jacobs, I guess, is generally the question. And the expanded question is, you know, we're at this interesting point with these running backs, right? Uh, two of them big names in terms of Saquon Barkley and Jacobs sitting there with the franchises. Uh, you have Jonathan Taylor over in Indianapolis in the last year of his deal. It's kind of an interesting summer for running backs overall in, in the conversation around their positional value. Yeah, and, you know, we just saw how the Vikings were forced to deal with Dalvin Cook. We saw, you know, the Dallas Cowboys get rid of Ezekiel Elliott. We saw trade rumors for Austin Eckler and Derrick Henry. It is a really interesting, you know, set of conversations. And in the meantime, we saw Christian McCaffrey help kind of produce a, a ton of really great things for the San Francisco 49ers offense after they traded for him. So, you know, you've got a little bit of a push and pull here. Generally speaking, I would say that, you know, running backs and second contracts turn out to be pretty bad deals for the teams and uh, not as much bad deals for those running backs and I would say you know try to avoid it but the problem is we're pretty late into the offseason I would say that the Raiders would have done a better job finding a replacement for Josh Jacobs in the draft or in free agency in case he doesn't report certainly franchising him I don't think was a bad idea but but situating him with a with a second contract you know commensurate with the level of talent that he's produced the kind of contracts that those demand it's really really tough I mean aside from McCaffrey the only other two running backs that have produced really well against their second contract are Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb and I don't know that Jacobs is up there. I mean, he's a very talented running back, but I mean, those two are potentially, you know, just the best running backs that we just have in the NFL and could end up on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I don't think that Jacobs is on that. And so for me, it's it's really difficult for, for me to say that they should have offered him a, a contract, but they certainly should have figured that, you know, running backs on franchise deals aren't happy and that they should have built more around in order to kind of deal with that. I know that they grabbed um, some running backs, but it, it just feels like that they were a little bit unprepared for all of this. Again, we're talking to Arif Aslan from Pro Football Network here on Unnecessary Roughness. I've got to ask you, we've got to move over to the defensive side of the football, and I know that you already mentioned earlier how you had the defense ranked a little bit below average, but what is the best case scenario for this defense for the Las Vegas Raiders heading into this next season? Yeah, I think it involves, you know, Tyree Wilson and Byron Young contributing at a high level really quickly. And that doesn't mean that Wilson takes, 
you know, a thousand snaps right away. I think with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones, who would need to have kind of a revival year for all of this to work together, you can, you can create a rotation among the three of those edge rushers where each of them might take something like 800 snaps, especially, you know, with all three of them on the field on third down. I think Byron Young, who's really, you know, productive um, as a defensive tackle or an inside um, play, maybe defensive tackle is the wrong word, but as an inside defensive player, you know, I think that if he contributes right away as a pressure producer, you can kind of cover for the fact that Jerry Tillery has been a little bit disappointing throughout his career. And I think all of that together will give you cover for the fact that we've got a fairly unproven secondary behind them. I mean, I covered Duke Shelley in Minnesota. I'm a huge fan of him, but I think that the fact that there wasn't a huge market for him, I think makes sense. He's an undrafted free agent that has been bouncing around a couple of teams. Really difficult to trust him. Marcus Epps kind of like has played really well in Philadelphia, but not well enough to earn a second contract. I don't know how David Long's going to do. You know, I like Jacorian Bennett a lot. I like Nate Hobbs, but it is that there's a lot of question marks there. And so I think that for that defense to do well, it's going to have to generate that through pass rush where they've invested a lot of resources. And I know that so many times with teams, when it comes to how well can they do for the season, teams say, hey, we just got to worry about ourselves. But how big of a factor do you think that the other teams in the division getting better are gonna, is going to play on this season? Yeah, I, I think it's huge. Obviously, you've got the Chiefs, and, and I think that there is potentially opportunity there. You can't ignore the fact that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league or that Travis Kelsey is a really high-level player, but I think the Chiefs might be getting close to playing with fire with the rest of that skill group, not investing that much into into receiver or not making sure that they've got a dominant player there. There's only there's a limitation to what that offense can do, and if, if defenses do a better job of trying to solve that, trying to figure out how they generate offense without a high-level receiver, I think that there could be a cap or a limitation on what that offense can do related to you know how, how they typically do. I don't think that they're ever going to be outside of the top five offensively, but certainly you can slow them down given who they have. And then defensively, they've got a very, very young secondary that you might be able to take advantage of. I think in Denver, um, you know, kind of the best case scenario for the Raiders is that Russell Wilson plays like he did last year. I think that there's only so much that you can do with a high-level offensive coach like Sean Payton if, you know, Russell Wilson doesn't have the ability to pass over the middle of the field. And I think that defensively, Denver still hasn't recovered from, from trading away Bradley Chubb, and so that's going to be tough. And then I think the Chargers, you know, if they're healthy, you know, like we say every season with the Chargers, okay. if they're healthy, they could be dangerous. But that offensive line scares me. I think, you know, not having a complete secondary, it's, it's almost patchwork. You know, I like Michael Davis a lot. Of course, everyone loves Derwin James, but it doesn't feel like it's complete. And I just don't know if they're, they're putting together the right pieces around Joey Bosa to have that front seven really, really threatening. So I, I think the health issue there, I think, um, you know, with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen slowing down, that there's, there's opportunity there for, for teams like the Raiders to take advantage. But certainly I think all three of those teams will have to take some missteps along the way. That pathway is there, but it would be really difficult for the Raiders to be dominant without some other teams kind of taking uh, some stumbles. So overall, we were talking about, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum, right? Worst case scenario, best case scenario. What does the worst case scenario look like for the Las Vegas Raiders this season? Yeah, I think for the worst case scenario, it's, you know, McDaniels continues to be pretty bored game management. I think that Garoppolo shows his limitations as a passer. I know Devontae Adams is a really great after catch runner, but I think that 
you're really best suited having him run down the field, especially with you know slower players like Renfro and and Myers. If it's a limited if it's a limited offense that's not throwing deep, there's just not much that that offense can do with, with or without Josh Jacobs. And I think defensively, I think a lot of people expect Tyree Wilson to take some time to take you know to to grow a bigger role. I think that a lot of people expect Byron Young to be in a rotation. I think that a lot of people don't see a lot in that secondary, and I think that that's pretty fair. I think you're probably going to see you know in a worst case scenario, Max Crosby once again kind of just floundering out there kind of trying to do everything on his own without much help because those younger players haven't fully developed yet and the secondary is we're trying to find value we're not trying to find the best player we're trying to find players that are going to produce better than their contract and sometimes that really doesn't work out because you're shopping a bargain bin hoping to find some gems that no one else found so there i think you know defensively the worst case scenario is that they get scorched pretty consistently and offensively it's we're going to be an efficient offense but we can't really score points when we need to Arif Hassan, Pro Football Network. Arif, before we get you out of here, let everybody know where they can find all your work. What else you got going on? Yeah, sure. You can find me at profootballnetwork.com um, slash author slash a Hassan. I'm working on um, some interview pieces. I talked to Julius Thomas, who's a neuroscientist right now, uh, about you know player mental health and his work there. So that's going to be coming up soon. I talked to a number of players about post-athlete career development. And, of course, you know, I'm making sure that we've got a, a good eye on all the training camp battles happening across the country. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Again, Arif Hassan, you can find the work over there at Pro Football Network, at Arif Hassan NFL. We did get a a text, correct? Yeah, we did get a text from Jim from Yonkers, and this goes to the question that you asked. McDaniels has to become a better coach at halftime adjustments. We lost plenty of leads last year after halftime. It reminded me of the Vikings two years ago when they lost all those close games. It seemed like he prepared the team well during the week as the team jumped to early leads. He needs to be truthful with the media or what goes around what comes will come around. Don't know what you mean by that, Jim from Yonkers. He was showcasing Josh Jacobs last preseason and now more drama. Thank you for a great show. Okay. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. I mean, we're only about 45 minutes in, so it could go off the rails. So we're like, maybe, you know, maybe. But I, and it's, it's a good point about it. We were, I was looking it up after we read uh, his text. Almost three points fewer in the second half than in the first half. It was part of the issues that they had. It's going to go a long way toward helping it out. But the question that I asked was what Josh McDaniels has to do to garner a little bit more respect in just almost every single circle, including, you know, some websites that have power ratings of coaches that maybe have him the fourth worst head coach of all the guys who are returning. So Yeah, but if you want to be like, just like Jim from Yonkers and be a part of the show, you can text us at 69187, keyword R&R. Long drive, left center field, way back. Shohei Otani starts tomorrow. Tonight he cracks a home run. Now back to Unnecessary Roughness. John Von Tobel filling in for Q Myers. As I said, we're going to learn about each other over the next couple of days. And all you guys can just know right now, and gals, big Angels fan. Music to my ears, that crack of the bat from Shohei Otani. We'll talk about that in a little bit, though. Uh, 702-365-9200. 702-365-9200. Let your voice be heard. Talking about Josh McDaniels, how he needs to uh, garner a little bit more respect in circles and see what exactly he needs to do. Also, best case, worst case scenarios. Let's head out to the phone line. Who we got here? Hardcore Raider. Hardcore, what's up? First of all, hey, guys. Uh, first of all, he, they got to stop this three-, four-year uh, long rebuild and be in more, uh, more of a win-now championship mode. You know, I said going – as the season ended last year, that this coaching staff had to sign Josh Jacobs. And the guy that was on uh, last talking about McCaffrey being better and Henry being be- better, 
That's actually completely false. If you look at the stats for the top guys, the first four years in the NFL, Josh Jacobs is number three. The only guys that has more total yards production their first four years is Alvin Kamara and Ezekiel Elliott, meaning Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, John Taylor, Shaquan Barkley, Derrick Henry, and Leonard Fournette are all behind Josh Jacobs. Josh Jacobs is number three overall when you add up the total yards. So for people to say, like, Josh Jacobs is just uh, not up there with the elite, either they haven't done their homework or they haven't done their math, and it's really sad that this coaching staff can't sign a guy that can help the Raiders win a championship. And if they don't sign him, then you'll know what this coaching staff's attentions are uh, moving forward by their actions. Hardcore real quick before we get you out of here. Maybe you are. Um, in terms of Josh Jacobs, do you think it's a Josh Jacobs thing, or I think this is more what the NFL's doing now, right? They just don't want to pay running backs, and I think this is kind of the the hard luck of Jacobs. He's been an awesome player. He just play a position that doesn't have a ton of value, and teams always balk at paying these guys. Yeah, that's that that's the narrative. But let me ask you a question: How, how would it be smart for a coaching staff to pay over forty million dollars to a wide receiver room, mm-hmm. and tentatively the Raiders could move on from Hunter Renfro after this that staff signed Hunter Renfro? Well, how is it a smart decision to have that much money in the wide receiver room with a mediocre quarterback, but the guy that's going to touch the ball, block, and help you win games, you can't get him a contract. So is this guy worth $13, $14, 15000000 million every day of the week? We would not have even won six games. We'd be lucky to win two games last year had it not been for Josh Jacobs. Okay, we appreciate it. It makes sense. In terms of wanting to sign Josh Jacobs, he was really, really good last year. But this is just what we're talking about in the National Football League. It's why Saquon Barkley's making, you know, being asked about this. This is a fascinating summer when it comes to these runners because every single one of these, I mean, Arif, we talked about, he listed all of them off, right? We had the, <laughs> yeah. we had the Eckler drama earlier. They totally forgot about that until he brought it back up. We have this with Josh Jacobs. We have Saquon Barkley. We have a guy who ran for 1,800 yards in 2021 in Jonathan Taylor who's in the last year of his deal in the Indianapolis Colts. I'm a Colts fan, by the way. So, uh, But also, but Dalvin Cook, that's the better example. Four right. straight seasons of a thousand, yard, of a thousand yards, and it's just like, hey, th- there's no sign of decline. There's nothing wrong there. And it's just, you couldn't imagine that at any other position. But the running back, that's just where the league is going. Or if you had a receiver, four seasons of a hundred of a you know a hundred mm-hmm. catches in a season, yeah, guy, yeah, we just can't afford you. We just we we think we can find someone else to duplicate that that success. Yep. And Kevin O'Connell, I was reading comments when I was looking up all the running back stuff. You already hear them. They're asking about the running back room because Kirk Cousins the other day made a comment like, you know, in my wildest dreams, I really hope that we can maybe Dalvin Cook would come back. And Kevin O'Connor's like, yeah, Alexander Madison's awesome, and we're fine essentially. Like <laughs> that's that's the problem is. As a running back, you could be – and look, the numbers would dictate. Josh Jacobs, as we talked about, did the most with what he got. When you're talking about yards per carry after contact, all of that. Like, he was brilliant. But when a lot of your production is tied to five guys in front of you and a scheme, teams can find excuses and reasons not to give you the money. And that's the tough part about, that's the tough part about being a running back. Yeah, the, the tough part is that, like you said, teams, they can find the excuse and the reason. But for me, I don't think that every team can just say, oh, well, we can, we can duplicate that success. Especially when you have a guy that's top in, he you know, leads the league in rushing. You think that if you just put together three, you know, three or four guys, they'll, they'll give you the best rushing offense in the league? 
where it's still an important factor of the game. Where you talk about Kirk Cousins, I think yeah, in his wildest dreams, I hope we would have got Dalvin Cook back because his performance may suffer this upcoming season. Mm. Where if teams don't have to respect him as much in the passing game, the play action game isn't looking as you know as formidable because it's like, hey, Dalvin Cook's not back there. We're not worried about whoever the backup is. That maybe he's got to prove himself. Maybe he comes out of the gate two hundred yards back to back weeks. But until until that happens, teams aren't going to fear that running game as much. And I think that that's something that every team should be on notice for. If you've got that stud that's in the waiting, sure, go with that stud. But I don't think every team has that guy that they just 100% believe in behind their stud running back. Well, and here's a, it's, it's a bigger can of worms, too. But, you know, I have two sons, right? Mm-hmm. They're both going to be incredible athletes, as we know. <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, like if you have a kid who's playing high-level football and you think that they have like a future in it, would you ever want them to play running back? Like if they if the if the off chance they ever actually made it, like it's a career in which they like there's no length to it. It'd be fascinating to see. All right, let's talk a little bit more about this summer of runners uh, when we talk to John McClain, who's going to join us at the top of the next hour. Talk about that, the scenario with all these guys, what they're going to get paid, and just what the National Football League looks like as a whole as we look at a fascinating summer for the NFL.